0: at calvary there my savior died he took my place and by his grace came with me to abide all i need for living is mine by just believing life begins at calvary life that never
1: ends and paul earnestly beholding the council said men and brethren i have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. The high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul to him, God shall smite you, you whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law? And do you command me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out on the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead I am called in question. And when he had so said, There arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. That is, the council was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit. But the Pharisees confessed both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and said, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, Let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and bring him into the castle. The night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Paul, be of good cheer, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also at Rome.
2: Welcome to The Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever.
0: Luke now describes the beginning defense of the Apostle Paul before the council in Jerusalem. He had been brought there by the Roman Tribune to find out the real reason why the Jews were accusing Paul. Well, Paul's defense once again centers around the hope and the resurrection of the dead. Now, both Jews and Christians have the hope of resurrection from the dead. Did not Jesus say to them in John chapter 6, verse 40, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. But Jesus bases this resurrection on looking on the Son of God and believing in him, whom God did raise up. Now, do you have this hope as well? Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 23, verse 1 with Dr. Mitchell. You're listening to The Unchanging Word, Bible Broadcast.
1: Good day, friends. Again, we come to you and we're starting gather the book of Acts and we're in, we start chapter 23 today. For those of you who missed the program, the preceding program, we, we finished chapter 22 where we had Paul's defense before Israel. Now he's a prisoner. Remember, we spoke of the fact that from chapter 22, right, 21, right through 28, you have Paul the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, as he said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. And in chapter 21, we we had the love of his friends, the compromise of the church, and then the opposition of the Jews. Then in chapter 22, We had his defense before Israel. First of all, he gave the testimony concerning what he was before he accepted the Savior. And what made the change from Paul the Jew to Paul the Christian? He met God face to face. And then after his conversion, he became Paul the missionary to the farthest ends of the earth, giving out the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles. And of course, this made them mad. When he mentioned the Gentiles, it stirred them up. They were very, very angry and full of rage against Paul. And then the last few verses of chapter 22, we had uh, Paul the Roman. He stood upon his Roman citizenship and his defense when they try to bind him and the thought of scourging him. You don't do that to a Roman unless there's a trial first. Now you come to chapter 23, and here we have Paul before the council. And in the first 10 verses, you have his testimony. I would like to read those first ten verses, just so you get the picture we have before us. And Paul earnestly beholding the council. Now he's standing before the leaders of Israel. In chapter twenty-two, he was before the crowd. Now he's before the leaders. You remember, you remember the the, the the chief captain had taken Paul, and he got together the leaders of Israel, and they came together after the after Paul had been taken a prisoner. The next day they met together. And here's what Paul has to say in the first ten verses. He gives his testimony. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul to him, God shall smite you, you whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law? And do you command me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out on the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, and the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided, that is, the council was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were with the, of the Pharisees part arose and said, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and bring him into the castle. Now let me just, just stop here for a few moments. Here you have Paul before the council of the Jews, and he gives his testimony. Notice this first verse. Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, that's quite a statement to make, isn't it? Could you, could you say that? Could I say that? May I quote again from Philippians chapter 3, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law a Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church church, touching the righteousness which is in the law and blameless. Boy, could you say that? I couldn't. So what was the result? The high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. This man's making terrific statements that he's lived in good conscience before God. Smite him on the mouth. Paul said to him, God shall smite you, you whited wall. Do you sit to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revealest thou God's high priest? Paul said, I didn't know he was, brethren, didn't know he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Now some declare that Paul was nearly blind and didn't, couldn't see clearly who was giving the command. Now, I just wonder if that's true. The first place Ananias, the high priest, commanded them to smite him on the mouth. Hit him on the mouth. Shut his mouth, we would say today. Smite him on the mouth and shut him up. Paul says, may God smite you, you old whited wall. Is that the way to talk to God's high priest? I didn't even know he was God's high priest. By the way, according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, this man Ananias, the high priest, was murdered uh, not very long after this occasion when he stood before the Sanhedrin. Now, Paul knew he wasn't going to have any justice from these Jewish leaders. Peter didn't have any. Peter and John, do you remember, in chapter 5 of Luke, of uh, the book of Acts, neither did Paul. He knew that they were full of hatred and rage and mad at him. And he could only recognize one high priest. And I believe that's what he had in mind. I didn't know he was God's high priest. Do you remember Hebrews chapter 4? verses 14 to 16, where Paul says, We have a high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace and there obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because seated upon the throne of grace is our high priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, friend, we have a high priest And by the way, may I suggest the 15th verse of that chapter, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched to the feeling of our infirmities. He was tested in all points as we are. Or as chapter 218 says, he's able to succor them that are tested. My, it's a wonderful thing that, can I just digress for a moment, it's a wonderful thing we Christians have, that on the throne of God, on the throne of grace, is one, is a real man, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth is on the throne today, having all authority, and he's touched with the feeling of your infirmities and mine. I don't know what your experiences are. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know how discouraged you are or how afflicted you are. I know one thing, that there's a real man at God's right hand who knows all about you, about your circumstances, and he's touched with the feeling of your infirmities and is able to succor you. He's able to succor you. And as chapter 725 of Hebrews says, uh, he's able to save perfectly everyone who comes unto God by him because he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that we've got a man at God's right hand who knows all about us? He's able to enter into your life to comfort you to strengthen you, to encourage you, to know that he really cares for you. And I think when Paul said this, I wish not that he was God's high priest, I think Paul knew that his high priest was on the throne in heaven, who knew all about him, cared for him, and was able to undertake for him sufficient for his every need. So I wish not he was God's high priest. Then, Then when he saw that the, that, the, that the Council of Jerusalem was divided into two groups. You've got the Pharisees and you've got the Sadducees. May I remind you about that? The Sadducees were the ones who opposed the gospel, by the way, in the book of Acts. In the gospels, it was the Pharisees that opposed the Savior. Very little is said about the Sadducees in the gospels. But when you come to the book of Acts, they are the, they are the, the key of the opposition to the gospel. And they did not believe in the supernatural. Should I say the Sadducees were the liberals of the day. They were the modernists of the day. They were the rationalists of the day. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in, in angels. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in anything that was supernatural. For example, we have preachers today, leaders today—a with a lot of degrees after their name, too—who say that these miracles were just the uh, God dealing with with ignorant people. He had to talk to them uh, using parables and miracles. Today, of course, we're beyond that. I quote them on this. We're sufficient unto ourselves. We don't need miracles or signs or wonders. We don't need anything. No, we don't even need a Savior today. This is their attitude. This is the Sadducees. Remember, they were the ones who tried to test Jesus when they said, a certain woman had a husband, and she died, had no children, so she married his brother, and he died, no children, and she went through the whole list, and she married all of them—six or seven brothers—and they all died. And sarcastically, the Sadducees said to Jesus, "Now then, they all died; they were all." Uh, she was married to all of them. Courageous woman, by the way. And we read that he said, "In the resurrection, there is neither." Marrying, nor giving in marriage. Because they had said, Who will have her in the resurrection? This was said sarcastically because they didn't believe in any such thing as resurrection. But you know, when you come to your Bible, it's full of it. Do you know that? It's full of it. So you have Paul here. Starting in at verse 6, he gives his testimony. And notice the testimony is concerning the resurrection. I'm a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. Or oh, who were the Pharisees? Pharisees were the conservative ones of the day. They believed the law of Moses, and they believed the tradition of the elders. They were hidebound, if I can use that term. Uh, they went beyond what the Scripture declared. They were a people who were bound up, very, very religious, with no joy, no blessing. They were, They were tight, and I mean it. And so you've got the two. But the one thing about the Pharisees, they believed the Bible and also the tradition of the elders. And the result was they believed in resurrection. So when Paul saw this in verse 6, he said, Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. The issue is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, they should have known that. That was the issue then, It's the issue in the next few chapters. It's been the whole issue right through the book of Acts. Was Jesus really raised from the dead? May I say, it's the issue today. Did Jesus rise from the dead or did he not? And this is where the church of Christ is weak today. That's why so many people have no assurance of salvation, though they're believers. But they don't have that joyful assurance because they've never seen the import of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. If there's no resurrection, says Paul, we haven't anything. We just haven't anything. Our faith is vain. We have no hope. We're yet in our sins. We're, of all men, most miserable. Say, resurrection of Jesus Christ, I repeat what I have said before, is the guarantee of salvation to the believer, it's the guarantee of judgment to the unbeliever. And Paul is basing this upon the Old Testament Scriptures. Remember that. It's always been the hope of believers right down through the years. Do you remember in First Timothy chapter 1, the first verse, Paul says, Jesus Christ, our hope. But we don't have any hope if he's not raised from the dead, if he's not alive forevermore. If he's not on the throne, we have no high priest, we have no intercessor, we have no Savior, we have nothing. In Thessalonians 5, 23-24, Paul says, Now the God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole being, spirit, soul, body, body, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, faithful as he that calleth you who will also do it. And God hath set apart a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. I'm quoting Acts 17.31. Job 19. Job could say, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and his feet shall stand upon the earth in the latter day, and the worms destroy this body. I shall yet in my flesh see God by my side, and not a stranger. Daniel 12.2-3 says, Those who are in the dust of the earth shall come forth, some to the resurrection of life, some to the resurrection of judgment. In Isaiah 26, verse 9, with their dead bodies shall they rise. I'm talking about physical resurrection. These bodies go back to the dust with a guarantee of resurrection, and that resurrection is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I repeat it, if Christ be not raised from the dead, we haven't anything. The cross is a tragedy, and we're all hopeless. I'm dealing with a very, very important thing. It's what Paul does. Men and brethren, it's concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead. I am held in question. And when he had said there was an then now he divides the whole crowd. Pharisees believe in resurrection. Sadducees, Sadducees don't believe in it. So the Pharisees said, we find no, no evil in this man. Let him go. And there arose a great dissension. In fact, they were going to right to tear him to pieces. Pharisees pulling on one side, Sadducees on the other. And when, he, when the chief captain saw he was going to be pulled to pieces, he sent in his soldiers, and they took him by force and brought him to the council. Now, verse 11. Paul before God. Just that one verse, I want to say. Verse 11. Paul before the council in verses 1 to 10. Now, He gave his testimony. Now Paul before God in verse 11. Here you have God's encouragement to Paul. I wondered about that. The night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Paul, be of good cheer, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so you must bear witness also at Rome. Nothing's going to hinder you. You're going to get to Rome. The Lord stood by him. Where are the Christian Jews in Jerusalem? Where's James? Where's Peter? Where's John? Where all of them? Did they stand by Paul? Did they visit him in prison? And I think personally in verse eleven, I think Paul was pretty discouraged. He stood before the, the Sanhedrin, they're divided over it. And the one issue is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. How this man longed to reach his people for Christ? And now he's in prison. What's the future? What can I do now? The church in Jerusalem is silent. He's hated by the people outside. He's alone. Possibly, as I say, discouraged. The circumstances were bad. But you know, you know what? The prison became a sanctuary. Huh? What? I said the prison became a sanctuary. Why? The Lord was there. Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem. Paul wanted the Jews in Jerusalem saved. God said, No, Paul. Rome. My, how this must have sustained Paul all the rest of the next two or three years when he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ for these Gentiles. How he longed to go to Rome. God says, Paul, you're going to go to Rome. His heart had been Send it upon winning the Jews in Jerusalem. Why do you think he went to Jerusalem in the first place? To win the Jews to Christ. When he saw how God was winning the Gentiles out in the Roman Empire, oh, that my people in Jerusalem were brought to the Savior. Maybe I better go back there. They knew what I was. They know the transformation that has taken place. Maybe God can use me. He went to Jerusalem. What's the first thing? Church, church left him to be, to be made a prisoner. Church compromised. Church was acting uh, the philosophy of accommodation, powerless, powerless. God granted church today will not be powerless, will not accommodate itself to the world. And I'm sorry to say this, that too many Christians judge their lives by society in which they live rather than by the word of God. And here God stood by the apostle Paul in jail. And that night the Lord stood by him. Paul? Be of good cheer. You've testified for me in Jerusalem? Okay. You've you've given your testimony, but now you're going to go to Rome, the great metropolis of the empire. See? Wonderful thing, isn't it? Uh, Ah! I tell you, my friend, it's true, he said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. My, how this must have sustained Paul. And the Lord knew how he felt, and what a comfort, what a peace came to the heart of Paul. I repeat it, the circumstances were very, very bad. The outlook was very, very dark. What shall I do? Where can I go? Here I am in jail. And the Lord stood by him and said, Paul, I'm right there with you. And not only so, but you're going to land in Rome. You're going to be a witness for me in Rome. And, you know, it took over nearly three years before he got to Rome. But he got there because the Lord stood by him, strengthened him. Are you in difficult circumstances? Friend, listen, the Lord is right with you. If you love the Savior, he'll never leave you. He's sufficient for you, and he'll give you his peace and his joy. And the Lord bless you today and enjoy him today. He's worth enjoying, I'll tell you. You walk with him and be filled with his joy, with his peace, and with his blessing. And the Lord bless you.